You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28 is the text with which we began last week. And um, we began our presentation of these truths related to racial equality last week on the heels of conflict and turmoil in our country. I felt that it was important to set forth God's truth on this issue. I, I think that this is something uh, uh, in, in which the church must be able to speak with clarity. And it's not an issue on which we can be equivocal. We don't get to waffle on this one. We don't get to be silent on this one. Yes, it's complex. And yes, there's the... Uh, a fear of of uh, getting damaged by the conversation, um, but the church doesn't get to be uh, equivocal on the subject of racial equality. Our voice must be strong and clear. With all the vo- the false accusations flying around, and the tendency among the political class to divide the races. For the purpose of wielding power, it's important that we don't fall into their trap. With the media seeking only to fuel the fires of racism for the purpose of expanding its viewership, we should know how best to present the truths of Scripture and thereby foil their intentions. This is how the Christian responds to a crisis in his culture. We don't take to the streets in anger, hurt that we would be lumped into this small group of haters. That would be taking the bait. We do not cry out in defensiveness and seek to accuse with equal fervor. That does not allow for a cogent presentation of the gospel. We simply set forth the truths of Scripture with conviction, and I believe with the clear assumption that the hearer will believe what we say. Is that always the case? No. But I have found giving people the benefit of the doubt when you deliver the truth goes a long way. It shows you respect them as a person and makes for a better conversation. So when you deliver the truths of Scripture on this, assuming that they will believe what you say will help you deliver it with confidence. So speak with confidence what the Bible states about the subject and trust the Word of God to do its work. In a, in a situation like this that has become more and more complex, and you're not even sure who's working for you and who's working against you, <laughs> the tendency is to withdraw. Christians cannot withdraw on this issue. And we do have this one 
thing in which we can be confident. When we stick to the truths of Scripture, when we use God's Word to make our argument on this subject, the Bible gives us this promise that His Word never returns unto Him void. And it will accomplish what He sent it forth to accomplish. We began last week with the context of the issue. I gave you my personal context so that you might know why this is a personal issue for me. We then went over the American context of the subject of racism. I believe it's important to acknowledge the wickedness of slavery and the great damage that was done to our society by it. We rejoice at least in the fact that our country did what no country has ever done in the past to rectify this wrong. We went to war with ourselves. And more Americans died in that war than all other wars combined. But we saw how last week that that is still not enough. Great cultural hurdles still had to be overcome. And the process has been slow and arduous. It has been made even more so historically as politicians have sought to inflame this issue, hoping to keep the flames of hatred burning so that they might gain political power by the heat of those fires. Meanwhile, despite the nefarious efforts of some, surveys show that the acceptance of racism is at an all-time low in our country. And for that, at least, we can be thankful. It is nevertheless a major point of public conversation. And it is one that is steeped in real grievance and the complexity of political agitators. That means that we, as the church, should be ready to give an answer in a world that needs answers from God's word. So, we will read our text again. Acts chapter 17. If you're here for part two of our sermon of one blood, then um, part one is in the podcast. Catch that. All right. But I think this will make sense. It'll stand on its own. And you know me. My tendency is to preach last week's sermon as an introduction. So Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, For to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, 
If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that does so powerfully address the issue of racial equality. Help us, Lord, as Christians to stand confidently on the foundation of the Word of God that we might deliver Your truth and in, 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 in to some great measure help the healing process of our broken world. God, we pray that if, if there's anyone here today that has not yet come to Christ as their Savior, we just pray that they would make that decision today and you would help us to see the one salvation that you offer all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In response to this issue of racism, we turn to the pages of Scripture. And I think that's a good place to turn when you have, well, any issue, right? And we find in the pages of Scripture the clear and powerful truth that racism is not compatible with Christianity. We begin with the foundational truth of our Creator. You see that right there in our text. It, it begins in this context of the Apostle Paul um, trying to teach about God to the men of Athens on Mars Hill. And, it, and, he, and he lays out this foundational truth of the, of the identity of God. And we found last week, as we studied just this one point, that our faith is incompatible with racism because we were all created by one God. And that was the first of three truths that we see in this passage, and that was the focus of our study last week. We were all made by the one true God. And if this were not true, if we were not all made by the one true God, we might come to the conclusion that some races are merely products of lesser and or greater processes of evolution. We saw last week how evolution has been the uh, basis of argument for much of the racism that has been purported in the world today. However, if we were all created by the one true God, then He alone sets the rules for our relationships with our fellow man. He alone serves as the basis for all the equality among the races. We cannot draw conclusions about each other that our God doesn't permit us to draw. You know, um, something that I always say is that we're not mind readers, right? And if you make an assumption about, 
about thoughts in someone's head, right? Then you have overstepped your bounds. Scripture's clear on this. You don't get to decide what's in someone's head. You don't get to make assumptions. You don't, you're not permitted by your Creator to make assumptions about what people are thinking. And so we are not permitted to make judgments that He doesn't allow us to make in our relationships with other people. And nor can we allow hatred of His handiwork to enter into our hearts. You understand what I just said there? Because that, once we've determined that we were all made by the one true God, that we are products, products of His hands, and His eternal, infinite genius, we're not allowed to let hatred creep into our hearts towards His handiwork. That was the truth that we discovered in our text last week. And now we move on to the second truth, and we find it in verse 26, from which we derive the title of our sermon. You see verse 26, still speaking of God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. It is no mistake that God designed our bodies in such a way as to be driven by and sustained physically by blood in our veins. You're not supposed to let a whole lot of that leak out. Right? That's That's pretty common knowledge. You're supposed to keep as much of that inside of you as possible. You lose too much of that, you're going to have trouble living. It's it's a common medical fact. We all recognize that and we do our very best to try to keep the blood on the inside of our skin. Right? The scriptures note this medical fact in several places that life is in the blood. In our text we see the life source of man as represented by the blood. And that life source is the same in all people. There's there's no human on earth that finds his or her life sourced outside of that breath of God into the nostrils of man. That's how it all started. We We didn't get our life from different places. The life source of mankind came from the breath of God. We share this in common. And it matters not what your color is, and it matters not what your culture is. Our life is all connected. Our life comes from a common source. To get into the scientific weeds just a little bit, let me say that our genetic heritage traces back to one couple, one man and one woman. The Bible is clear on this. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, And Adam called his wife Eve, listen to this, because she was the mother of all living. God didn't create a bunch of different races. 
He created one couple. And we all have descended from that one couple. Think about the how that has bearing on the way we think of people who look different than we are. We all have one life source. Eve was the first woman. And every single person descended from her. And, and from Adam. I don't want to leave the man out, you know. <laughs> Turn into a Gaia religion or something. There, Sorry, <laughs> that's not my notes. But this is where it started. There was no greater or lesser couple from whom the human race descended. There was one couple. One man and one woman. It's the basis for all colors. The Bible could not be clearer on this issue. So then one might ask the obvious question. Someone want to ask it? Why do we look so different? Right? Why, why do we all look different? I mean, you might expect us to all look the same if we came from the same two people. And, I mean, however, it... If that's your assumption, and it's a natural one, you've only just begun to scratch the surface of God's wonderful work of creation. It's just not that simple. God built into into Adam and into Eve some very special complexities. Let's review what has transpired with the human race. Ready to take a little journey with me into, into history? We started with Adam and Eve. The first couple on earth. And from them, all people have descended. The Bible is clear on this. God had given them a clear command to subdue the earth, to rule it, to dominate it. And this could only be rightly accomplished by scattering across this great globe and building populations on this earth. Man, as you can imagine, had a different idea. Man always seems to have a different idea. You know, God tells us one thing and we say, well, that sounds great, but I think this is going to work a little bit better. Right? In Genesis chapter 11, we, under, we, we, we find this story. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a place in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Well, let, me, let me just throw in a little parenthetical. Like God commanded us to, right? <laughs> and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let me just kind of stop for a second and bring you up to speed. What did the people of earth imagine to do against God in building one world government? You know what they attempt. You know what they wanted to do was build a government 
over which God did not preside. That's the primary purpose here. God told them to do one thing, to live a certain way, and they said, no, we're going to do our thing. We find that unity of earth is a better goal than submission to God. And so they built, this was the first major attempt at a one-world government. They came together and they built this edifice we see God's response in verse 7. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. You know, I can't help with my sense of humor to think about that circumstance. And you have... People with, I mean, they are working like a a well-oiled machine. It's the construction project that you just dream to manage. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's speaking the same language. And, And then suddenly everyone's speaking different languages. And somebody says, hey, go get me a wheelbarrow full of bricks. And what that person hears is, and he turns to his, his fellow who was getting bricks with him, and he says, I gotta be guys, I gotta go back on. Suddenly, no one can understand anybody. I wish I actually spoke different languages that I could just, I mean, pig Latin wouldn't really work. <laughs> but. <clears throat> Suddenly they had this lack of communication. And they scattered around the whole world. Therefore the name of it is called Babel. (laughs) Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So here's what happened. Man, in rebellion against God, decided to build an edifice of power against him. They sought... To be wholly united in this common cause. God still wanted what he had asked for in the first place. An earth peopled by his creation and an earth that was cared for by them. He stepped in and he confounded their languages to further his own cause. Suddenly, they could not stay together. They couldn't even understand each other. They found their own language groups and they emigrated away. Among their own language groups, their genetic pools suddenly got smaller. They married and had children within that smaller group, accenting and strengthening the genetic characteristics of that group. The result of that, if you think about it, all the different languages and and how they suddenly had much smaller genetic pools, the result of that would be people groups with unique genetic characteristics. Imagine people groups that looked like Pastor Josh, you know? And we had to kind of stay at our people group because we couldn't understand anything anyone else was saying, right? So they all ended up with these long hawk-like noses, 
thinning hair, at about middle age, skinny as rails, seems like all of them. I could go on, but <laughs> pasty white. I mean, tan like a tomato. And that's what you get in that people group. Because I have no idea what anyone else is saying. So, the result would be people groups with unique genetic characteristics. They also scattered to different places. And, and, and there was, there's an event in, in the Bible that is a complete, it's a, it's a mystery, but it's also like a hint at what happened. A unique geological event took place. There's not an awful lot said about it, but several times it is mentioned in Scripture. Soon after this scattering of the people, there's born into the timeline a man whose name is Peleg. The name means division. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 25 mentions him in passing. And unto Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Now, this is mentioned again in First Chronicles, and it seems that our geological studies, that what our geological studies have theorized is also recorded in Scripture, and that, that is that the continents actually spread from each other to their current positions. This led to even further isolation and major climate differences between the people groups. At this point, we theorize that while differences were beginning to be accentuated by the genetic isolation, people were likely all of a similar skin color. Okay? That color was most likely somewhere between the darkest we have seen and the lightest. It should be noted that all genetic information, this is fascinating, for every skin color is now inside each of us. Did you know that? I have all of the genetic information, believe it or not, inside of me to have the same skin color as Elsie. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fascinating thing and kind of hard to believe when you look at me. But, <laughs> but certain genetic tendencies normally stay within certain people groups. I want you to see this slide showing how all the genetic tendencies um, would be within someone of a middle range skin color. All right? Let's start with just Adam and Eve. All right? A middle range skin color. Somewhere between the darkest and the lightest. And you see within them, uh, they have all of these different characteristics within them. Their descendants have the possibility... Boy, it seemed like that guy blinked just a minute ago. Um, have all the possibility of having uh, the the two A's and the two B's and being as dark as that or having the, the two small A's and the two small B's and being as light as that or anywhere in between in their genetic tendencies. Someone pasty-like me, or as dark as the darkest skinned person on earth, could find all the genetic information and tendencies within a mid-range skin color. 
The genetic tendencies are thought to be determined to some extent by chance. And certainly skin color has a lot to do with survivability in certain climates, especially in ancient times when it's not like they could just go to Rite Aid and get SPF 35 and smear it on and not fry in the sun like I would, right? <laughs> um, it's then obvious how in different climates people developed in similar trends and skin color became more and more accentuated to one trend. However, there's anomalies that could have that, that could have easily happened just like they do today. Because all the genetic information for all the races is in each and every one of us. Science tells us this. And thereby proves you know, Darwin wrong. But there's a there's stories like this that pop up every now and then. I'm sure you've seen them. Twins are born to a man and a woman on a, on a rare occasion with opposite skin colors. And, I mean, twins with opposite skin colors. It seems that God on occasion likes to remind us of the variety that's in all of us. I mean, we are truly all one blood. This is the science of it. And the Bible is always accurate where it speaks on scientific issues. Sometimes it takes secular science a while to catch up to what the Bible is very clear on. But all of that said, people still tend to be divided by appearance. And that's because of our sinful nature. And God knew this. And so he spoke against it to Israel by means of his prophet Amos. In Amos 9.7 he says, Are ye not, this is God speaking to the people of Israel, Are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel? Saith the Lord, Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Syrians from Kerr? God is here reminding Israel that they are a people just like any other people, lest Israel ever think herself to be superior in race. And, and at one point, some Israelites were critical of another race. Did you know that? Um, they were specifically critical of interracial marriages. Have you ever heard of that? Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. Um, remember the story about Miriam? You know Aaron? Good company, Right? And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. For this criticism of God's servant, Miriam and Aaron were stricken with leprosy. And, and while this judgment was pointed at their affront to God's ordained leadership, the content of their criticism I think is very relevant here. They criticized Moses for his interracial marriage. And they were judged by God with a flesh-rotting disease as a result. I don't know about you, but I think God made his point clear. <laughs> the differences in people of the human race, the differences are all inside each of us. We're all one blood. 
We have one life source. God made us this way on purpose. We have this in common. Let's now turn to the last and I believe the most powerful let me try that in English now. Uniting factor of all. And you see this also in our text. In verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might be, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The third reason why racial inequality is incompatible with Christianity is that we are all drawn by him to the same salvation. Were any race lesser or greater, surely a different salvation would be offered. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is also one of the most uniting, and it's John 12 and verse 32. And I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Having clearly determined the equal humanity of all of the so-called races. And by the way, that term race is kind of an anomaly. You know that, right? We've just determined there's really only one race. We all have inside of us the same, the same genetic information. It just, it, it, our appearance is just decided by what parts of that genetic information is is awakened. So we're all one race, but, you know, for sake of argument, I'll, I'll call us races. All right? So um, having clearly determined by, by having determined the equal humanity of all of the so-called races, we can arrive at no other conclusion than that they are also drawn as we are to Jesus for salvation. And to this end, We're all commanded to reach out to all people, no matter the culture or the color. We see it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The gospel is for all nations. There's no separate gospel for people of a different color or heritage. Some people will accuse us of trying to impress our gospel on a different culture and say, well, that's just racist. Oh, no. It was impressed on my culture. And I am the beneficiary of it. Cultures don't get saved anyway. People get saved. And because all people are equal, all people get the same gospel. As a matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say it would be racist to say there's a different gospel for people of different cultures. The Bible tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is equally powerful to save people of every nationality. Our goal is to bring them into the family and enjoy the unity that we all have in Christ. Look at how the Apostle Paul links this issue of racial equality with our new life in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, he says, But now ye also, he says, put off all things, all, all, all these, 
anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. You kind of get the idea where Paul's going here. Your life is changed. You've got Jesus Christ inside of you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're supposed to be different. Put these old things away and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him now listen to this this is God's intent for how we should live in this Christian life once we've put off the old man and put on the new where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcision nor uncircumcision barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. There's no difference between the nations, especially for those who are in Christ. There is none that had to come by a more arduous way or by an easier one. We are all in Christ. We were elected for confirmation in Christ. We are to live dead to ourselves and alive to him, crucified with Christ, as the Apostle Paul said. We are, we are to rejoice in the unity that we all have in Christ. When we stand before God, it'll be in Christ. And someday there will be a mighty company of all the nations gathered together before the throne of heaven. And they will all be in Christ. This is the gospel. This is the great unifying factor of humanity. That we all need Christ. It is racist for me not to tell someone of a different skin color that they need the same Jesus that I need. Someday in the final throes of the judgment... There will be an angel that is sent out again to all the nations. John saw this in his vision. Revelation 14 and verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountain of waters. Even in the throes of judgment on the doorstep of Armageddon, it is one gospel that is offered to every nation and every kindred and every tongue. Finally, we look around at us at, at we look around us at the pain that is inflicted by racial hatred and bitterness. And it's hard to imagine that it will all dissipate someday. While politicians and the media practically giggle at the violence and the pain that they have helped to foment, there will come a reckoning. Those who have sought to divide the races will be judged. And their thin veneer of falsity will be broken and they will be seen for what they are. And those who have been wounded and those who have been hurt will be healed. John saw this too. In Revelation 22, he records it. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding 
out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The scars of racial bigotry will be healed in heaven, where all will know full equality in Christ. And this, this is the great equalizer. Isaiah sixty six eighteen says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and all tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. In the end, all nations will equally see the glory of God. The great equalizer is the gospel. There is no separate gospel for other cultures. We all need Jesus. There is none who are more sinful, evidenced by a skin color. We are all sinners, and we all fall short. We look at the different skin colors, and we thank God that we are not all the same. Just imagine, you could have all looked like me. No. God made so much variety in everything. And to tuck away inside the genetic structure of man this complexity is a sign of God's love for beauty. And we as Christians should recognize that. There is no inequality. And we are one race. But make no mistake, we are a fallen race. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that means all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all need Jesus Christ as our Savior. Okay, if, if you have thought, that perhaps your heritage or culture might in some way give you a leg up, move you a little closer to heaven, you are sorely mistaken. We must all come to that same place where we recognize ourselves to be sinners and have fallen so far short of God's standard of righteousness that we can turn to no one but Jesus Christ for our salvation. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in which I would challenge you, if you haven't yet come to know Jesus as your Savior, this great equalizing uh, can be a part of your life as well. You can recognize your need for a Savior and embrace the same Savior that God has offered to all mankind. If perhaps you have thought wrongly about the differences between you and some other person, then it's time to submit to the Word of God. 
And child of God, don't be silent on this issue. Speak boldly and confidently about the incompatibility of bigotry with Christianity. Don't let yourself be pigeonholed. You're a child of God. It's your responsibility to deliver the truth. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing I Surrender All. It's number 308 in your hymn books if you'd like to turn to it.